college football show for BetUS TV. I am your host, Gary Seegers. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. Along with that, I have our experts here, and it is the early Week 0 and Week 1 college football guide. We've got a lot to talk about. Let me go ahead and introduce the experts. Of course, on the left side of your screen, we have Parker Fleming. You can find him on Twitter at Stats of War. Parker, I know you're excited, right? Well, is a, a day closer every every day for a while now. So pretty excited, man, and getting in some of these games. It's it's uh, I'm, I'm ready for the fall, man. Oh, most certainly on the right side of your screen as well. We have our sports betting expert, Kyle Hunter at Kyle Hunter Picks. Kyle, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, you know, the off season, uh, it seems like it takes a while for college football to get back around. I know we have a couple months still, but I'm excited to do this here today. And uh I think all of us share this that, you know, I don't really consider this a job as much as we really enjoy this. You know, this is this is fun for all of us. So, oh, it, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I was kind of amped up the last half hour before this, guys. Oh, most certainly. I don't think it's ever too early to start discussing college football. Obviously, we all love it. We have all talked about it all summer, really. I mean, we have our own little group chat where we're talking about things that are going on in this sport and now we finally get to talk about some games. Of course, we will be rehashing these after fall camp and whatnot because there is a lot that will happen between now and the end of August. Uh, but we do want to go ahead and start off with things. Uh, let me go ahead and remind everybody, like the video. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel because we got a lot of content coming for you this fall. We are going to start things off uh, middle of August, roundabout, but we will be doing shows on Tuesdays and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, every single Tuesday and Wednesday. So make sure that you are here, that you jump into the chat, that we've got all kinds of things going. So uh, first things first, let's go ahead and dive into the first game, Week Zero. We've got a big one. It's a conference game in the Big Ten. We've got Nebraska going up against Northwestern. The line currently sits at Nebraska favored by 12.5. The total is 50.5. Uh, this one opened at 10 and a half and has jumped up. And of course, the line of, or the total is still the same here. Kyle, I want to start off with you. It's a 12:30 p.m. Eastern Time game on Fox, and it's in Dublin, Ireland. Now, everybody knows any any reasonable a reasonable sports fan would know that Scott Frost is a little bit on the hot seat here at Nebraska. They went three and nine last year, but they wildly underachieved compared to what their post-game win expectancy was, etc. Their post-game win expectancy said they should have been closer to eight wins as opposed to three. They lost eight one-score games. Kyle, give me your thoughts here initially on Nebraska heading into this season. You know, Nebraska is a tough one because uh, certainly the best three and nine team ever, but you know, you don't really want to be the best three and nine team ever. Uh, Casey Thompson transfers in a quarterback. I do think that's probably an upgrade. I mean, uh, Martinez was so up and down. Uh, we'll talk about Martinez plenty of times throughout the course of the season, I'm sure. But uh, Whipple, the new OC here, I think is a good hire as well. Um, not great skill position talent for N Nebraska around them. I, I think Cam Taylor-Britt at cornerback is a big loss, certainly. Um, this run defense, I think, will be a bit weaker. Um, in general, Nebraska, I mean, how can you not think they're going to improve? But the market knows that. The odds makers know that. So it's a little bit tough because, you know, I, I'm not saying anything earth shattering to say Nebraska is going to be better than they were last year. They're going to be better than three and nine. Uh, so I, I don't know that it's really a buy low spot. 
Uh, I know this line got up to 13 and then it's dipped back a little bit to 12 and a half. This one get, being played in Dublin, Ireland. Uh, Gary, I don't know. I mean, this is one where Nebraska and Northwestern last year, I unfortunately watched a decent amount of that game and, and Northwestern just was terrible. 427 rushing yards allowed, 8.9 yards per play for Nebraska. Um, I think you know we know more about Nebraska, though, than we do about Northwestern. I mean, was Northwestern just down for one season uh, and they'll bounce back? They have been kind of the up and down team that they'll lose, um, come back the next year and be good. I don't know. I think Nebraska is clearly better than they were last year. And Frost is, I mean, his seat's as hot as you get. Uh, Northwestern, uh, you know, their defense was so weak last season. I don't know if uh, Northwestern's defense was worse because Jim O'Neill was just doing a bad job as a defensive coordinator. If it was more about the the talent that they had or lack of talent on defense, so uh, Nebraska is certainly a better team. Uh, how much better? I, I guess we'll see. A, you did bring up the yards per play in this game last year. By the way, Nebraska won at fifty-six to seven, and it was not even a game after the first quarter. It was just a, a ridiculous matchup. Uh, Nebraska averaged eight point one yards per rush. And they ran the ball 53 times. They realized early that Northwestern could not stop them. And, and they just continued to run over and over and over again. Parker, let's jump over to you. Northwestern does get back Cam Porter this year. He was injured in fall camp last year. And he was a big part of you know their offense in 2020. Why they were able to go to the Big Ten Championship game. Uh, but after that, I mean, you've got him to pair with Hull. I don't know what the rest of the offense looks like. And I don't know that their defensive line has or even their front seven has improved enough to be able to deal with Nebraska's offensive line. Uh, give me your thoughts on this one. Yeah, I, I, this is not one of those years where we're going to say, wow, Pat Fitzgerald is a great developmental coach and Northwestern is at the top of the cycle and they've really hit on a lot of these guys that are all kind of um, experienced and developed at the same time. You know, you look at um, Kyle mentioned last year being a dip for Northwestern, but I might even suggest um Maybe 2020 was a dip in the positive direction and kind of a fluke that way. Um, Northwestern last year, I mean, wasn't wasn't super competitive in games. Was was generally pretty feckless once they got into scoring opportunities. Um, I know there's a couple of games where, for instance, my numbers kind of looking backwards had them competitive, but they just underperformed so much in the red zone and in scoring opportunities that they were really kind of under the ground. You couple that with their rated um, 69th in returning production. That's not a formula for a Pat Fitzgerald winning team there. Um, and their quarterback situation doesn't really inspire confidence. So you can look at kind of all these units and say on paper, I, I don't really know what I'm supposed to be excited about with, with Northwestern here. I mean, their, um, their run defense was a little bit better than their pass defense last year. Uh, but they're losing so much. I, I really don't know how big of a step forward you can say that they're going to take. On the on the flip side of that, you look at Nebraska. Um, they they were a really good team, but they're 104th in returning production, including bringing in a transfer, Casey Thompson, who started at Texas last year um, for for a lot of the season. I, I really think that um, Nebraska's. Uh, time to strike last year was, was, uh, was, or excuse me, last year in Nebraska, it was the time for them to strike and they really underperformed. I, I, I again, this matchup is going to be, um, a lot of volatility on Nebraska side and a lot of kind of lower ceiling, but more consistent, um, Northwestern, uh, Northwestern team here. Then you throw in, Hey, we're going to Dublin. We're playing with jet lag. We've got time and everything. I think that a mistake prone game, 
uh, is, is definitely what we're looking at here. And that makes me favor kind of the more consistent Pat Fitzgerald team than it does necessarily the more volatile, maybe more desperate Nebraska team. And no, that certainly makes sense. I, I will tell you that I am very curious what this team looks like without Aiden Hutchinson and without Casey Thompson, as you brought up. The Texas quarterback uh, coming in, he, he looks great. It was Aiden Hutchinson just one of those guys that cannot get it done in crunch time when he needs to, and maybe Casey can come in and fix some of that? Uh, that's what I'll be interested in seeing. My initial lean was Nebraska. Uh, as of right now, I'm staying away from this one because I want to see. I, the fact that it's in Dublin, the fact that you know whenever Northwestern has a down year, they typically bounce back. Uh, and we've seen this from Nebraska. Until Scott Frost proves to me that he can win tight ball games, I, I'm I'm a little curious about this. So that one, of course, on Saturday, August the 27th. Um, let's go ahead and move into the week one games. And we'll start with Thursday night. Let's talk about West Virginia and Pitt. Now, this one is 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. Uh, this is a very interesting matchup with a ton of storylines. Of course, the backyard brawl. We all know about the rivalry between Pitt and West Virginia. But on top of that, the quarterbacks are the story here. JT Daniels transfers from Georgia to West Virginia to join up with Graham Harrell, the new offensive coordinator there, along with Neil Brown, the head coach. And you've got Keaton Slovis, who was at USC, who is the one that took JT Daniels' job from him when uh, JT Daniels was first injured out at Troy. Uh, along, I mean, these, these two matchups, these two teams are going to be so interesting this year just based on new faces. I am really curious what each of them looks like. Pitt returns a lot more of their production from last year than West Virginia does, but West Virginia did bring in a ton of transfers. Parker, let's start off with you. Tell me what you know about the Mountaineers and the Panthers here. This one is uh, one great for college football that these two teams are playing again and that it's going to be a marquee um, matchup early in the season. Props to both these teams for scheduling this. Um, this is a, a, a an interesting litmus test of of can of what you think Pitt was last year. So Pitt was a very high volume passing offense. They had a Bolitnikoff uh, receiver in Jordan Addison. They had Kenny Pickett, who is a fifth year senior, super experienced, who who really hadn't shown uh, a lot of promise, but was consistent enough to kind of run this offense, they're losing so much um, overall and, and replacing it with, I think, more question marks. So you lose you lose Addison, you lose Brennan Marion, who is a coordinator of the pass game. He's at Texas now. You lose Whipple, uh, the offensive coordinator, to Nebraska, and you replace them with, I'm not sure, a wide receiver, uh, and Keaton Slovis, and uh, Fr Frank Signetti, a guy who hasn't been in college football since, what, 2018? That is... Um, worrisome to me. The 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 real kicker there for me, though, is that while Pitt's pass offense was high volume and good last year, their defense really helped them win games. Their offense, in terms of average efficiency, kind of struggled. Um, I think that Pitt is, is their, their defensive quality will be similar to what it was last year, looking at what they lose and what they return. But if you look at kind of the, the net loss and gain, I think Pitt is, is really destined to take a step back. They had a really easy schedule last year, kind of a down year in the ACC, and they lose all those offensive weapons and identity that kind of made them who they were. Um, on the flip side, West Virginia, 
working the transfer portal, goes and gets JT Daniels. Last year, they really, their offensive line got better. Their their wide receiver core stopped dropping so many passes. They just were at times limited by not being able to figure out what to do with Jarrett Dagey at quarterback. So um, I think that West Virginia is taking a clear step forward from the team they were last year. I think Pitt is taking a clear step back. My, my raw numbers would have this within a touchdown, but um, I really think that, uh, in favor of Pitt, excuse me, but I really think that West Virginia is going to be kind of trending up and Pitt is going to be regressing a little bit, which is a nice spot for a kind of mismatch line, uh, especially early in the season with not as much in, in season data. Um, totally makes sense. Uh, Kyle, you know, my, my favorite matchup of this entire thing will be Graham Harrell going up against Pat Narduzzi's defense to see what that West Virginia offense is going to look like. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I, I think a lot like Parker does on this one. In fact, you know, there's going to be some of the games that I don't have a very strong opinion on, but I do like West Virginia in this game. I think West Virginia, I think Neil Brown's probably underrated as a coach. Um, you know, Graham Harrell, a really good offensive coordinator hire. And if you look at Pitt, I think Pitt's secondary is only okay. They're really helped by the pass rush being so good. Um, I think on the Pitt side, uh, Slovis, I mean, he he was tremendous there a couple of years ago at USC. He hasn't been as good since. Uh, I think Slovis is a good quarterback, but they, they bring in a new offensive coordinator in Signetti who really wants to run the football consistently. So is that going to be a great fit for Keaton Slovis or not? Uh, I'm not sure. I think the offense is down quite a bit. The other thing about West Virginia is uh, Jasir Cox, a transfer from North Dakota State, I think could be pretty good on defense. Um, the defense underachieved, in my opinion, last year did West Virginia. Uh, I think West Virginia is undervalued. Uh, if you look at their field position last year, just horrible. I mean, you know, they've got to do better on field position. I don't think they could be that bad again. I mean, maybe they could, but... Um, and then you got JT Daniels. We assume he'll be the starter. I know they were saying Daniels, Green, uh, Goose Crowder. I had to say Goose Crowder at least once. So um, uh, all the offensive line back, uh, good good run blocking. Uh, you know, I think that the wide receivers are pretty good. They lack depth. Uh, Letty Brown's gone. I think you could argue, though, the talent in the backfield overall is better this year at West Virginia than it was last year. Um, to me, uh, stock arrow pointing up on West Virginia and pointing down on Pittsburgh. So I would want to take West Virginia in this one. Totally. One, one thing I wanted to ask uh, yeah. Kyle about, about this, because Kyle, you're the totals master, man. Um, anytime anyone asks me a question about totals, I'm like, uh, just go talk to Kyle. Um, but I, I'm looking at my like rush rate above expected. Pitt's uh, defense last year, 5.7% less uh, that, that teams rushed against them. So their high volume kind of passing offense induced teams actually to pass more and keep up. West Virginia, uh, or excuse me, and then on, on offense, Pitt was passing 9.1% more than the average team. West Virginia's defense, though, teams were rushing a, a 0.0001% more uh, against West Virginia than average, like people were actually rushing uh, kind of exactly what you would expect against West Virginia. In terms of totals, um, I think that there's a really interesting question here about uh, who dictates the the pace of play. And a lot of that is hard with a new offensive coordinator, a new quarterback. But I think that a pace of play here is going to be potentially a really interesting play for a total just because there is a lot of uncertainty in kind of how teams are approaching both of these teams last season and all of the turnover this year. 
Yeah, there's probably too much uncertainty for me about this total, to be honest. I mean, you know, Harrell is a big upgrade at offensive coordinator. Uh, I assume West Virginia will be much better on offense. At the same time, I see Signetti trying to slow the game down and run the football a lot more than Pitt did last year. So, you know, if, if we had two teams that were wanting to play faster or two teams that were wanting to run more, then I'd be looking to either an over or an under. But I feel like we might be working different ways here to where it, it just puts me back to neutral. I, I don't know what to do with the total in this one. These are two teams that after we see the first week or two, I'd like to try to start circling for totals because I think we could see some changes from both Pitt and West Virginia this year. Signetti, by the way, it certainly makes sense as an offensive coordinator hire for Pat Narduzzi. I don't know how much sense Mark Whipple made, but it, it ended up working. So that worked <laughs> out. Uh, the line on this, by the way, Pitt is favored by seven currently with a total of 54. It opened at Pitt minus six and a half with a total of 55 and a half. So it has come down that total by about a point and a half. Uh, I'm curious to see what the action will be going forward. Let me go ahead and remind everybody, jump into the chat. We'll try and answer some questions at the end of the show. And if you have not already, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast. It is the BetUS football podcast. You can get both the NFL show and the college football show in your feed right there. So make sure that you are subscribed. Leave a nice five-star review. That would certainly help us out for sure. Gentlemen. We've got a big one on Saturday afternoon. This one is at 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on ABC, Oregon, against Georgia. And Georgia is a 17.5-point favorite, total of 51. This one is a quote-unquote neutral site game in Atlanta. And, of course, the storyline here, Oregon loses Mario Cristobal to Miami, and they go and hire Georgia's defensive coordinator from the number one defense in the country last year, Dan Lanning, and he comes in and he immediately gets Bo Nix, the quarterback at Auburn, to transfer over to Oregon. So that is another storyline in this one. The former Auburn quarterback is now the starting quarterback at Oregon. He gets to face off against the Bulldogs again. I know we're all excited about it. Uh, this one opened at Georgia minus 16, and it's risen a point and a half there. And the total has remained at 51 the whole time. Kyle, I want to start off with you. I don't think roster-wise that these two teams are as far apart as people really believe that they are. Uh, give me your thoughts on this one. Well, I mean, I kind of feel for Dan Lanning, right? You know, I mean, he gets this job and he has to go against his previous team immediately. It's kind of harsh. Um, you know, Bo Nix, I think Bo Nix is probably better than Anthony Brown. I don't think Brown was really that good. I mean, you know, Oregon didn't win because of Anthony Brown last season. So um, this is a good offensive line. I think Oregon's offensive line will be strong again. Good, really good tight ends. Very good tight ends. Uh, big drop off at running back for Oregon compared to last year with Ferdell and Dye both gone. Uh, I think the defense is still going to be very good. Uh, obviously, they lost a lot from last year. Uh, the secondary is probably the weakness for for Oregon. The front seven will be uh, pretty good. You know, if you look at it from the other side, though, uh, Bennett, I mean, we could get in a pretty long discussion, so I'll try to not you know, take too much of your guys' time. But Bennett is still a pretty good game manager. I mean, I like him. He's a good leader. We, we've talked about this several times, but I, I don't think that – um, just because Georgia won the title and he had a couple good quarters that all at once Stetson Bennett's this, you know, superstar quarterback. I actually root for Stetson Bennett. He's a uh, really, really nice acting kid, a lot of fun, but inexperienced skill position talent around him. I think they're good, certainly. Um, maybe similar offensive numbers to last year, uh, something like that. On the defense, they were all-time defense last year. They can't be that good, right? I mean, um, I don't know that we'll see another defense that good for quite a while as far as Georgia's defense last year. The defensive line is their biggest drop-off. 
Uh, Ringo's really good in the secondary. Uh, very good talent. Uh, we know they have five, star, five stars all over the place, but they can't be quite as good as last year. I'm really having a hard time with this one. And in my notes, I put in all caps, no lean on this game. I, I don't I don't know what to think. Um, you know, this is just a game that uh, I don't want to lay this many points with Georgia. I think this is an awful lot of points for a total of 51. Um, having said that, you know, I'm not really excited to take Oregon here because I feel like there's too many question marks about them. I tend to feel the exact same way. Georgia only returning 44% of their defensive uh, uh, numbers back. I, I'm curious what these two teams are going to look like. The 17 and a half just seemed like a ton of points. Uh, my lean would certainly be on Oregon, but at the same time, I did this with Miami against Alabama last year. Uh, Alabama did not have a ton of returning production, and and yet they came out and looked like gangbusters in that first game. So it, it is what it is. Parker, let me get your thoughts here. The Oregon offensive line against the Georgia defensive line I think could be a, a fun matchup just to see with some of these inexperienced players. Uh, I don't expect a lot of points here. What say you? No, this is going to be shockingly uh, very like old school football. Like, I mean, we might see more 13 personnel from both teams than we see in another game that's not played outside of the Mac all season. Um, there are just like a lot of dudes that want to that want to line up. Obviously, with Lanning, he's going to he's going to favor that kind of um slower, more conservative offense, a little bit like Georgia is saying, hey, we'll pound it, we'll take shots when we when we kind of get you catching, sneaking up, but they're going to want to play with the tight ends a lot. I think that's a, a decent recipe for the Pac-12, um, but I don't know if that's a, a decent recipe for facing Georgia on week one. One thing to say about Georgia's defensive line, they're inexperienced, but they're all blue chips. They are all four and five star athletes. Um, Georgia's talent level is, is increasingly um, getting larger over, over the rest of the um, uh, over the rest of the nation, Oregon last year, I, 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 when they were able to run the ball against Ohio State, for instance, they were able to kind of dominate and play that control game. Um, I, I wonder if they'll let it fly a little bit more on offense this year, but I don't know that they'll be able to run over um, Georgia's defense, even if they have some of these beefier offensive linemen. You know, they have a step back at at, um, at running back there. The last thing that I'm really thinking about here is. Um, Oregon couldn't really stop the run. We saw Utah just do whatever they wanted uh, against Oregon's defense, especially in the run game. Kirby Smart has not shown that kind of Nick Saban um, desire to just drop 70 on someone to shut up a narrative. <laughs> this would be a time for Kirby Smart to do that. I still don't know that they'll do that. I think they'll get Kendall Milton a lot of um, of touches at running back, kind of working him into that leading role. And then, of course, between Bowers and Gilbert, um, and Darnell Washington, they're going to want to get those tight ends involved. I think Georgia will get ahead early and then kind of sit on a lead, still trying to play that dominant physical ball and really test that defense um, and kind of work those tight ends and running back in. So I'm expecting low, uh, low scoring here. And uh, but but I do really I, I, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to lean. But I, I think that Georgia's stylistically is going to be a little bit um, more favorable than than Oregon here. I know that certainly certainly makes sense. Uh, I am curious your thoughts on that offense. Does it feel like with the tight ends and the running backs and all that, they do have playmakers elsewhere with uh, Stewart and whatnot, uh, or Smith. I've got the names wrong. Either way, does it feel like they built this offense for Stetson Bennett? That I mean, it kind of feels like that mid-range game is what they're going for here. 
It could very much be the case that Todd Munkin designs a better offense for Georgia this fall, and they are worse in an efficiency sense than last year because it requires Stetson Bennett to make decisions, get balls over the middle of the field consistently, and maybe throw to tight ends in more contested uh, catch situations. Again, you watch last year. Todd Munkin did a great job of knowing that they had athletes and knowing how to get them open. Um, and, and I mean, a lot of those balls that were deep, a lot of quarterbacks could have hit and props to Setson Bennett for hitting those in, in a general range, but it's a lot different equation to chuck it up to a super athletic wide receiver who's going to make a play and fit the ball into a tight window um, uh, in, in a contested catch uh, to, to a tight end. So that change, I think, could be a little rocky for Stetson Bennett. I'm certain that Munkin is thinking of that, but that would be the one kind of caveat is maybe Georgia isn't exactly as great outside, um, especially at wide receiver. Maybe they'll rely on those big guys inside a little more. That might be a little bit tougher for Stetson Bennett because of those tighter windows. It totally makes sense. I uh, do want to go ahead and remind everybody, jump into the chat. I've seen several people in here. Robert S. jumped in, said the Magnificent Trio is back. Mark Holmes, of course, jumped in, uh, has, has left quite a few comments. But he also earlier said Parker looks like he's ready to put on the pads and go hit somebody. And, uh, and I will agree. I think we all are, honestly. But, uh, but yes, jump into the chat. If you have any questions about games that we do not hit, we will try and hit those at the end of the show. Again, subscribe, like, share the show out, jump in the comments, etc. We'll move on. Saturday, September the 3rd, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Cincinnati heads to Fayetteville, Arkansas to take on the fighting Sam Pittmans here. Arkansas, a six-and-a-half-point favorite currently. Total of 54 on this one. And... Parker, I'm going to start off with you on this one. Uh, the roster strength is is heavily in favor of Arkansas, I believe, and returning production. Uh, you know, Arkansas does lose quite a few, but they do bring back their quarterback. They do bring back a coordinator, uh, well, both coordinators, and the head coach. With Cincinnati, uh, it's a little bit of a different story here. Uh, this was, you know, the, the first appearance of Cincinnati coming off of a playoff berth. They lost nine players to the NFL draft, including all of their starting skill players and a bunch of the defense. Parker, tell me what we should know about the Bearcats and the Razorbacks this year. This is a game I would have loved to see last year um, because it does feel like they, that, that Cincinnati is in a very different place than Arkansas is right now. I actually ran my numbers on this just straight last year data. I would have had Arkansas 25, Cincy 23. So, like, I man, I would have loved to see that game. Um, Cincinnati's definitely building for the future. Luke Fickle, they're, they're on pace for a top 25, like an honest-to-God top 25 recruiting class. They're really building up. Their answer at quarterback this year might be Ben Bryant, who is at Eastern Michigan, um, or, or they might go with a younger, more inexperienced guy. I, I like – I'm long on Cincinnati. I think that they're building the right direction. They're moving to the Big 12. They will be a competitor. They're obviously going to take a step back from last year, and it's unfortunate here because Arkansas is going to have the talent advantage overwhelmingly in the trenches and Arkansas is going to have the schematic um, schematic advantage on offense versus defense, especially as, you know, Cincinnati's replacing two great cornerbacks in, in Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner. Um, they're, they're losing their leading edge tacklers or linebacker. I mean, they, just every position, their dominant wide receiver and Alec Pierce, it's hard to look at this and think that Arkansas won't, won't win. Um, I know that Cincinnati is is prepping for this. I know that they'll be competitive just because they, they are always competitive in games and Arkansas, I think is, is, um, a little uh, with Kendall Bryles, they're actually a little more conservative than you than you think. And I know that they want to protect KJ Jefferson, knowing that he'll be taking a lot of rushing attempts. So it wouldn't surprise me if Arkansas plays a little more even keel, a little less volatile and erratic against Cincinnati. Uh, that might keep this total a little bit 
um, or might keep this line a little bit closer, but but I really do think that Arkansas is, is just kind of overwhelmingly more talented and, and poised to be at the top of their development cycle, whereas Cincinnati, obviously with their successes last year, losing so much, is, is going to have to start that cycle over again this year. Well, I think we saw it in the bowl game, right, or in the, the playoff game. I mean, Alabama was not able to run on anybody in the SEC, and against Cincinnati, they handed it off basically every play. They didn't have to use Bryce Young against uh, Sauce Gardner or uh, Kobe Bryant or, or whatever. I'm I'm very curious. You said that they have a schematic advantage with Kendall Bryles against that Cincinnati defense, but I I'm curious to see what Luke Fickle decides to draw up here. Whenever his back is against the wall and he knows that he's got the lesser team, uh, he can bring out some interesting formations, some interesting things to kind of uh, tease up the offense a little bit and, and make the defense appear a little better. What I want to know, Kyle, let's move over to you. How does K.J. Jefferson look without Burks? Like, he was the linchpin of that offense last year. He was the deep play threat. I want to know what K.J. Jefferson looks like when he has to go to other receivers. Uh, give me give me your thoughts on these two teams. I mean, I think K.J. Jefferson's going to be handing the ball off a lot this year. I'm not saying that they won't throw, but I, I would imagine there's going to be a lot of running. They have a good offensive line. Uh, Pittman's obviously an offensive line guy. And honestly, uh, Pittman and Fickle are both really good coaches, two coaches that I like to root for. Uh, they do a great job motivating their teams. I do agree with Parker. I would have rather seen this game last year than I would right now. Um, you know, if you look at Arkansas, Arkansas is usually a bit weaker stopping the run. Their secondary is very good. Jalen Catalan, a really good safety uh, can they stop Cincinnati from running the ball? I think both teams want to run the ball here. I would lean to the, the under if I had that something in this game. Uh, not, not strong, but that would be my initial lean. Uh, Raider gone, uh, probably Bryant at quarterback, which correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he was at Cincinnati a couple of years ago and then went to Eastern Michigan and then came back, which is just kind of odd. Um, running backs are a deep group. Um, I think Cincinnati runs the ball a lot here, too. So I think we see quite a bit of running. Who can stop the run? Uh, I've seen some people saying uh, Cincinnati secondary. Uh, I know they lost top players, but, I mean, they recruit well, and Fickle's a good defensive coach. They're not going to be bad in the secondary, but you can't lose guys like that and not drop off quite a bit. Uh, that's just too much talent. Uh, so I don't know if we'll see it this game as much because I'm not sure Arkansas is going to take a lot of deep shots or throw it around, but uh, certainly their secondary is going to be down. So... I would imagine that there'll be a lot of running the football and see who can stop the run in this game. So my lean here is the under. I, I tend to go with you as well. I, I would lean Arkansas right now, especially since that line has dipped below seven. Uh, it opened at seven and a half. The total has stayed the same at 54. I tend to think that Arkansas has the, the decided advantage at roster strength. So my lean would certainly be on the Razorbacks at home because I think that place is going to be wild on Saturday. Uh, we will move on to another 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time game on CBS Sports Network. And this one may be the most exciting game of the entire opening weekend, and that would be Houston as a four-and-a-half-point favorite, total of 59-and-a-half, going to UT San Antonio, UTSA. This is a fun matchup. This opened at Houston minus six-and-a-half, the total of 59. The total has gone up a half point, but the favorite is now two points less of a favorite. Uh, the roster strength here is decidedly in favor of Houston. The returning production is in favor of UTSA. And while I'm sure that everybody wonders what the Roadrunners are going to do and Jeff Trailer going into a season after they went 12-1 and before the bowl game, I want to know, uh, Parker, we'll start off with you. 
on this. Uh, I want to know about the G5 darlings here because both of these teams were really good, made it to their conference title games last year. I want to know your thoughts. I, I know that Clayton Toon is back for Houston, but I feel like Houston should be favored by a lot more here, and and UTSA is right there and at home. We know the Alamo Dome can get crazy. Parker, tell me what you know. One, yeah, you got to respect the Alamo Dome, man. The crazy things happen there. It gets loud. It's wild. Um, I think that UTSA last year, you have to absolutely um, give props to Frank Harris. You know, in 2020 and then coming into 2021, all the talk was about Sincere McCormack, who is, who is a great college running back. But Frank Harris, that quarterback, really, really developed. Um, he improved his completion percentage from 2020 to 2021 by about four percentage points while in- increasing his average depth of target and his yards per attempt. Gary, in 2020, Frank Harris, 10 to 5 uh, touchdown interception ratio 2021 it was 23 to 5 now that stat is only worth what it's worth but that's a huge market improvement in outcomes for a quarterback who's actually pretty good that being said uh, i think the argument for returning production here is a good teaching opportunity um because utsa is super imbalanced they're 12th in returning offense they basically only lose mccormick but they're 69th in returning defense for for a lower G5 school. That makes me very very nervous, um, in, in in kind of that split. So they'll return their offense. But the question against it's against Houston is, who's uh, who's stopping Tank Dell at wide receiver for uh, for UTSA? What athlete is going to be able to match up with him one on one? How is UTSA's defense going to be able to arrange itself to not just get totally blown up by one of the nation's most dynamic receivers, uh, Tank Nathaniel Dell? Uh, almost a third of Houston's receptions last year, 14.3 yards per reception um, on an average depth of target of about uh, 12, 12 yards. So, I mean, just absolute downfield threat uh, with Toon's consistency uh, with with uh, Nathaniel Dell's kind of uh, explosive ceiling. I really don't know how UTSA is going to stop Houston scoring points. And then on the flip side, you know, Doug Belk's done an amazing job with that Houston defense. They absolutely could have mailed it in last season after kind of blowing a game they should have won to start against Texas Tech. But they locked it down. They gave everybody um, every ounce of competition that they could ever ask for. And just a really fierce unit that loses a little bit, but but I think should be pretty substantial again this year. So really fun one to watch uh absolutely have to lean houston love that we're getting a couple points there i just don't think utsa's defense has anybody that can stop tank down now you bring up the returning production on defense i do want to remind everybody utsa's defense is not the reason why they won games last year uh i don't necessarily know that they were awful but maybe losing some of those guys was not necessarily bad right <laughs> uh we'll jump over to kyle on this uh, look, post-game win expectancy, I love looking at this metric. Uh, Kyle, the post-game win expectancy for a 12-1 and UTSA was actually 9.18 and 3.82, so closer to a 9-4 and team as opposed to a 12-1 and team. Uh, I do think that there's still a really good team, and there is something about being at home here, but which, which way are you going on this one? Well, I like the total the best here. Um, as far as a side to start with, I think Toon's underrated. Uh, you know, I think all of us have probably underrated him, including me. Uh, he's been really good in this system. It certainly helps to have Dell at wide receiver, but he's he's a solid quarterback. Um, Holgerson's offense—they uh, have some really great wide receiver transfers coming in from the portal as well. I would think Houston is going to be really tough to stop for a lot of people this year. Um, Houston's defense. So I think they have an excellent pass rush, good run D. I think the secondary is a bit of a question mark. So can uh, UTSA move it um, in the air? 
you know, I, I was going to say what Parker said as well. I mean, Sincere McCormick was supposed to be the best player by a mile on UTSA's offense. And Frank Harris was really their star last year on offense. McCormick is certainly very good, but Harris was tremendous. Uh, their pass attack is very underrated. They have three really good wide receivers, a good offensive line. I think UTSA is going to score a decent amount of points in this game, too. It would surprise me if they don't. They play quick enough that I think there's going to be plenty of possessions in this game. If you look at this, secondary for UTSA, very weak, a major problem. I don't see how they're going to stop Houston from scoring here. If I had to bet a side, I would bet Houston here. But I like the over better than I like a side here in this one. I think both teams score quite a bit. Uh, 59 gone up to 59 and a half. I think this is the right way for the, the total to move. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if this is one of my plays. So uh, I do like the over in this game. I think both offenses have an advantage. And we, we did bring up Clayton Toon, of course. If everybody wants to do a little off-season homework, then go and look at the last season for every quarterback that Dana Holgerson has ever had. They are all the best numbers that they've had in their careers. Just just go take a look at it at West Virginia and at Houston. So go uh, go check those out. We'll move on. We've got another fantastic G5 matchup, and these are, of course, my favorites. Army heading to Coastal Carolina. This is a 7 p.m. Eastern time game. And, of course, it will be shown on ESPN+, Plus, which you have to have a subscription for, aside from cable and whatnot. This, uh, you can't really look at roster strength when it comes to Army, but this is an awesome coaching matchup between Jamie Chadwell and Jeff Munkin. I, I'm worried about Army's offense without Christian Anderson. Uh, we saw them multiple times without Anderson when he would go down with injuries, but now they don't even have the backup quarterback. Uh, I believe Laws was the guy. This this could be interesting because also when it comes to returning production, especially on offense, Coastal Carolina loses a lot. Uh, Parker, let me start off with you on this. Was the Coastal Carolina offense just Jamie Chadwell finally getting everything implemented the way that he wanted uh, once he took over the job and it took a few years to get there? Or was it bringing in Grayson McCall? Or was it having all of that talent around him? That's what I'm really curious about because a lot of that talent is now gone. Uh, give me your thoughts on on Army and the Chanticleers here. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, Army last year had some just crazy games where they were just scoring points left and right, kind of messing up to totals. I think we were riding Army overs for a little bit there. Just absolutely crazy. Uh, Christian Anderson and his kind of dynamic rushing ability is definitely a part of that. Army didn't really have that kind of uh, typical – prototypical kind of downfield threat that um, the service academies do, you know, like in raw passing numbers, they were always really high because it's run, 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 pass. Army never really, really developed that as much as um, kind of historically some of those better uh, triple and, and service academy teams have. But Christian Anderson, very stable at quarterback, very versatile athlete. Um, again, talent and kind of returning production there really is hard because it is so much of a system and it's can the next guy kind of grasp it. Of course, experience matters, but without Anderson, I do expect Army's offense to, to have some growing pains. Coastal Carolina, I'm really interested in. I think they had done a really good job of offering early on some guys who might have gone to other schools had they not gotten an early offer. And then two, um, for, for 2020 and 2021, honestly, their offense has been a lot of Defense is just saying, wait, what the hell is this? Um, and 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 I think there's diminishing returns to that. I don't think that Army is the defense that's going to kind of figure out the scheme. But I, I do think that there is kind of this collective breath holding about is Coastal Carolina's offense real? Because, you know, Wiley Korn hasn't gotten a job. Um, 
Jamie Chadwell hasn't gotten a job, even though they've interviewed and kind of talked. I think there's some skepticism that this offense will kind of project forward. I think there's diminishing returns to weirdness on offense and whether they can do it again without somebody as precise as McCall um, is, is really important, but this is really fun to, two kind of gimmicky offenses, two kind of gimmicky schemes. Talent advantage is, is of course in, in coastal Carolina's favor. And with that experienced quarterback, Grayson McCall, um, I think because it is so scheme dependent on offense there, they'll be able to replace those weapons like Isaiah likely that they lost uh, last year and, and still find guys to step up and, and catch those touchdowns that McCall is throwing. Now, Kyle, let's move over to you. These two teams, when I look at this total of 55, it, it felt initially like it was a lot of points. Uh, it's two incredibly efficient offensive teams that were number 122 and number 128 in total plays per game. Uh, 122 was Coastal, Army number 128, of course. Uh, Coastal was number 84 in rushing PPA allowed, and they've got almost no experience coming back at linebacker. Should we expect for Army to put up a ton of points here? I mean, what, what do you think about the total? What do you think about this line? Gary, this is a hard question on the total here. <laughs> uh, this is, I mean, it's only June. I can't, I can't bet this total. Uh, Army, I like betting unders with them because their pace. You know, I'm never going to be excited to bet overs with Army. Now, Army had some good overs last year because of their efficiency, but then when they go playing the triple option teams, obviously, then they get really low-scoring games. Um, as far as Army, they lost a lot at linebackers. Smith and Carter are two really big losses. They had 27 and a half tackles for loss between the two of them. Uh, Christian Anderson, a big loss. Army's offensive line is really not very good. They return a lot of other uh, players, uh, especially running backs, really good depth there. But I, I don't know what to make of Army here. And then you flip over the other side, Coastal Carolina, just six returning starters. But fortunately for them, Grayson McCall is one of them. So, uh, you know, they lost 161 receptions from last year. I do think Georgia State's uh, Pickney will be a good pickup there uh, at wide receiver for Coastal Carolina. The offense will be good. They'll be down some from last year. Uh, Coastal Carolina, I think Clark could be a decent run stopper for them. If I look at this total, I'm going, man, I don't know what to do. Because this total, as far as tempo, you have to want to bet the under. As far as efficiency, you have to want to bet the over. That's one that I have to pass on. You know, this is, this is a game that I'm going to be taking notes and wanting to watch, but I don't even have a lean here on a side. So uh, this is one where I'm going to watch and try to learn about both teams. Just a very interesting game. We will move into the P5 realm again. Let's go ahead and move over to Gainesville, Florida, where you're going to see Utah going up against the Florida Gators in Billy Napier's debut, 7 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN on Saturday, September 3rd. This line opened with Florida as a one-and-a-half-point favorite, and it is now Utah as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Total of 53 on this one. Guys, uh, Kyle Whittingham's Utes were awesome last year, and they bring back you know a pretty good amount of returning production. Uh, the roster strength between these two teams looks fairly comparable. I think Florida has a bit of an edge there. But I want to know what a Florida team that has not quit looks like. I want to know what Billy Napier's team Looks like coming out of the gate with Anthony Richardson, et cetera. Uh, Kyle, we'll start off with you here. Does Utah just pick up where they left off last year in the Rose Bowl? Or is is maybe there's something to going to Gainesville that could derail them a bit? Well, I mean, Utah's a really well-coached team. I think Whittingham is, is still undervalued as compared to what he should be. If you look back to 2009, Whittingham's teams are 56% against the spread, just betting them every single game. So you don't want to bet against them unless you really think you have a good edge. Um, yeah, 
it's it's also not a little bit unfair to Utah to just go back to the Rose Bowl and say, look, their secondary was torched. They had like backups that had never played court, played quarterback, cornerback, excuse me, against Ohio State's wide receivers, which is really not fair. And really, I think their secondary will not be that bad as long as they don't get uh, banged up because they have some talent. They just had no depth, and that's what we saw in the Rose Bowl. Uh, the defensive line is going to be very good for Utah. I think the defense is probably better than they were a year ago. Uh, Tafuna's a budding star for me at, at defensive line. I think he'll be very good. Uh, Covey is a big loss on, on offense, but in general, they do have five of their top six receivers back. Uh, I think this offense is is very solid with Cam Rising. If you look at Florida, I love Napier as a coach as well. I think he's tremendous. Style is more physical. Uh, he's a good planner. Everybody says he's a leader. Uh, Richardson's a dynamic player, but can he cut down on those big negative plays? They need to not get behind the sticks or turn it over so much. Uh, the defensive line has been the weakness of this defense for Florida for a good while. Can they be able to stop the run? Uh, the secondary, uh, which was very good a few years ago, really wasn't very good the last couple of years either. A really tough schedule for Florida this season. If you look at the schedule, it's a tough, uh, tough ask for Napier to have a great season here right away. Um, I would lean Utah in this game, thinking there are too many unknowns about Florida. Uh, I think Utah has... Uh, the same type of team that they've had the last couple seasons, and I like the consistency of the Utes. Parker, let's dive over to you. Let's talk about the Utes and the Gators. I, I want to know what Billy Napier is going to do, and and I know what Kyle Whittingham is. We've seen kind of the same the same thing from him over and over. Uh, but of course, once Cam Rising came in last year, it rejuvenated that offense. How big of a difference is it going to Gainesville as opposed to playing in a neutral site or even playing a game at home at Utah? Give me your thoughts here. I think that if I if, if I can be non-analytical for a second and non-numeric, if this game was in Utah or was at a neutral site, I would absolutely, uh, without a second thought, take Utah. Um, but I think that going going to the swamp, going to um, Billy or like in the excitement in that program around Billy Napier, I, I think that there'll be a really special environment. And you used a key word there earlier, Gary. Of course, we're not, you know, casting aspersions on college athletes, but clearly the Florida uh, defense last year had had other preoccupations on their mind and wasn't as motivated as they could have been. Utah was the best rushing team last year, whether you opponent adjusted or not, in terms of EPA. Um, and they, they really didn't rush that much more often than you would expect based on um, – Based on the situation, uh, quarterback Cam Rising really came on later. They they obviously had some games they wish they could have had back early on, but really performed well, really showed their identity against uh, Oregon, beating them twice. I think that was really, really indicative of kind of what they can be. Um, Gary, we talked about this last year early on with, with Emory Jones starting at Florida. Uh, that maybe the best quarterback on the roster wasn't actually starting. Anthony Richardson coming in and, and, and taking there. I'm excited to see what Billy Napier will do with him because if you look at, for instance, Levi Lewis, the Louisiana quarterback from 2020 to 2021, they really shortened his average depth of target. They really ran more play action and kind of said, okay, Levi, you're consistent. We know what we want you to do. Let's let's make you do that better. And they really game plan for him well. Um, and so I'm excited to see what they can do with that. Also, I believe Rob Sale is coming back. He was with the New York Giants for a little bit. Longtime run game coordinator, longtime offensive 
offensive coordinator for Billy Napier, really sharp football guy who can really get those trenches um, on offense, um, you know, in line and, and figure out that run game. I think that also has a huge added benefit for the Florida defensive line. Dan Mullen, for, for all his talent and, and ability in the run game, runs a weird offense. Um, it might be good for that defensive line who's struggling to see, hey, here are the basics of a high quality run defense. And we're going to learn how to defend that day in, day out in practice as well. I think that's a rising tide lifts all boats situation for for sale there. So I expect this to be a physical game um, and I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for it. Giving a, a, a very slight lean to Florida just because of that home field and that excitement. But um, it wouldn't surprise me for Utah to come out and just just really try and body Florida. That's a bold strategy when you're going against, you know, a deep SEC roster. Florida is, I think, seventh in uh, team talent composite last year. Utah is is 30th. So definitely um, definitely another case of a Pac-12 SEC game where it's going to feel a little bit more like 1992 than it is going to feel like 2022, just because there's going to be a lot of running. There's going to be a lot of bulk on the field, a lot of tight ends. I love it. This is a fascinating matchup for sure. Uh, my lean right now would be to Florida and, and I would like the, the under, but at the same time, I mean, you, you never know when those first kind of matchups, those first games for a head coach like Billy Napier. We'll move on. We've got another monster P5 matchup, of course. Notre Dame at Ohio State. This is the primetime game on ABC, 7.30 p.m. Eastern time on that Saturday, September 3rd. Line opened up Ohio State as a 14-point favorite. They are out to a 14.5-point favorite. And the total has sat at 58 here. This is a fun game. Marcus Freeman's regular season debut. It comes against his alma mater. I don't think it necessarily matters how good Notre Dame's defense is. Their offense is going to need to score points. Uh, Parker, I'm going to go back to you to start off on this one. What does Ohio State's defense look like under first-year defensive coordinator Jim Knowles here, who came over from Oklahoma State? Can he get stuff implemented that quickly? And then on on the flip side, can Notre Dame's Tyler Buckner, and I would assume that that's who's going to be the starting quarterback, even though he missed the spring, Can he put up points against Ohio State? Because you're going to need a lot of them to keep up with C.J. Stroud and that bunch. Uh, Parker, tell me what you think. Yeah, so Ohio State's defense, um, basically two games, they couldn't stop the rush. And that's what really kept them out of the playoff was that Michigan game and that Oregon game. They really had trouble, um, not with athletes. Obviously, they have talent, but with assignment a lot, which is just not what you want to see at a high-level program. So they obviously made a change at defensive um, a defensive coordinator there. Jim Knowles comes in after after creating just an absolute um, uh, Swiss Army knife, uh, knife of havoc with with that Oklahoma State defense. There were you know five guys at four different positions had more than twenty pressures. They were just absolute hell on opposing offenses. Um, and it's it, it's fascinating to see what he will be able to do with this talent. I do think there will be some mismatch. Um, I expect their defense to take a step forward. I don't expect them to get pushed around in any way, shape, or form like they did um, against Oregon last year. And even that was you know that was a close game. They didn't necessarily get pushed around, but they couldn't stop the run there or in the Michigan game. Um, if I look at Notre Dame and I look at their efficiency from last year in the run game, uh, they, they were 49th, which is not what you wanted from Kyron Williams senior season. Um, they, they really struggled to get the game going and, and their, their run game improved over the course of the season, but still his usage and his totals were just not lab on my numbers. So don't want to say anything about decimal points or anything. 14 and a half is oh, it's just a little much right now for me to put it. I feel like that's just too much with the new defensive coordinator and with Notre Dame kind of uh, quote unquote in their mind, winning the breakup with Brian Kelly last year and having Marcus Freeman and, and some continuity on, on both sides of the ball there. Um, that being said, I think Ohio state is obviously the, the more talented team, 
two two touchdowns is just right against that line of what I'd be comfortable betting here. Um, if it moves down at all, I think I'll absolutely go Ohio State. I I tend to agree. Kyle, let's move over to you. I know you're ready to talk about the Buckeyes here. This is an average offense in Notre Dame against uh, what was an average defense. And, of course, this is all based on 2021 stats. But average offense against Ohio State, average defense. And then you have an elite offense in Ohio State going up against an elite defense with Notre Dame. I'm curious your thoughts on the Buckeyes and the Irish. Yeah, I mean, obviously I have a lot of thoughts about Buckeyes games always. So Notre Dame, um, Al Golden, new defensive coordinator. I think that'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, Hamilton left, uh, but then now they have Joseph, um, Northwestern transfer. Um, their secondary is not very deep. And I, you know, if you look at their recruiting in the secondary, it's really not been very good. It would surprise me if Ohio State can't throw the ball a lot here. I think they will move the ball pretty easily through the air. The defensive line is a strength for Notre Dame, but uh, Ohio State's offensive line is good in pass blocking. I would think Stroud will have time to throw it around here, and that could be really dangerous. Notre Dame on offense, their offensive line's very good. Um, I, I think Freeman's a good a good coach. I think he'll do well at Notre Dame, certainly. Um, their quarterbacks are talented but inexperienced for, for Notre Dame. I mean, the, the massive question here is what, what's the deal with Ohio State's defense? Um, Jim Knowles, how quick can he turn it around? Because Ohio State's defense, uh, uh, Gary, I think you might have been nice by saying they were average last year. They really were not very good on defense. Their, their offense was tremendous. Their defense was pretty bad. Their linebackers are the weakest unit. Um, the secondary has some young talent. I, I think they're certainly going to be better on defense, and they'll be much more aggressive. Uh, I'm sure Parker knows this very well. Uh, there's been many uh, coaching staffs that have said things like Ohio State was uh, way too vanilla on defense. You know, we just saw what we knew what they were doing every single time. That won't be the case under Jim Knowles, but their talent still isn't tremendous on defense uh, compared to what they used to be defensively. So I'm really curious to see what Ohio State does on defense. Definitely my strongest lean in this game is the over. I think Ohio State will score points in this game. They will likely give up enough points as well. Uh, the question is, you know, uh, is Ohio State going to play really quickly the whole way? Are they going to keep throwing it around constantly? Um, I would probably lean to Ohio State, but I, like Parker, for one, I hate laying 14 and a half. I, it feels like 14 is just, it's so much better. If this game was 13 and a half, I'd say I like Ohio State. 14, I would lean Ohio State. And uh, 14 and a half, and I I guess I would take Ohio State if I had to take a side, but there are enough unknowns in this game that I, I hate to lay 14 and a half points. That's uh, uh, it's quite a bit, quite a bit of points against a team that does have pretty good talent. But 58's not that high of a total. Uh, I would certainly lean to the over here. I believe that 14 actually caught us in Week One last year when we were betting on Ohio State. I took Ohio State. I believe the Kyle, maybe you took Minnesota at plus 14. I took Ohio State minus 14. It landed dead on 14. It was Parker. Uh, what was it, Parker? There we go. So, <laughs> you don't have to say it like that, Kyle. It was a good bet at the time. <laughs> but yes, it, it absolutely bit us with the 14. If it had been 14 and a half, uh, one of us would have won, one of us would have lost. Instead, we both push is what it is. Uh, let's start off. Let's uh, let's go to the Sunday game. All right. But we got we got two more. So everybody jump in on the chat and we'll uh, we'll try and do a little bit of Q&A. Obviously not too much because we are going long as we typically do. Because we love the sport. But, uh, but we'll move on Sunday, September 4th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ABC. Florida State and LSU live from New Orleans. And that would be the Superdome. Uh, I believe uh, da, 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 LSU is a two-and-a-half point favorite. Total of 51-and-a-half here. And the line opened 
with LSU as a three-point favorite. It has gone down just a bit. And if anybody can tell me what you know about either of these teams, I would love to know because I don't know how anybody could know anything. This is Brian Kelly's debut. It's in the Superdome, and everybody knows how New Orleans loves their LSU Tigers, but it is a quote-unquote neutral site game. Uh, This feels like a make-or-break season for Mike Norvell in Tallahassee. He has upgraded the roster a bit, uh, maybe not not to the point where they have caught up with LSU, even with all of the transfers. Uh, I think LSU is still more talented than Florida State. Uh, Parker, let's start off here. 34 players gone for LSU, 28 in. That's 15 recruits, 13 transfers in right now. Even with all the changeover, et cetera, I still feel like LSU is the play in New Orleans. Uh, give me give me your thoughts on the Tigers and the Seminoles. Yeah, I definitely understand what Mike Norvell is trying to do in um... – like they brought in, you know, they got a, a really good edge from the FCS level coming in. They got a running back. They got Winston Wright from West Virginia, is a really productive receiver, and tried to fill in some of those holes. The issue is still Florida State is so deep in an offensive line hole in terms of recruiting and development. It takes time to get out of that hole. Will this be the year that some of those guys develop? I know they're bringing in a couple of three stars with experience. Maybe it can shore up that offensive line. But man, Travis last year was running for his dang life most of the time and was making plays. I mean, you know, extending and, and moving around, but they were so erratic that you see in their schedule they weren't really out of of any game um uh it may be wake forest that was 35 to uh to 14 but generally they played everyone really close the metrics you know if you take out kind of the special teams nonsense the the fluke turnovers if you if you just look at kind of normal quote-unquote normal football florida state played a lot better than their record they just had a lot of issues with sequencing and kind of building so i think they're improving i think they played better than their record last year i still think that lsu's defense is so vastly more talented than their offense um that that especially early on in the season i, I like brian kelly's continuity of course i i don't love brian kelly's hire at uh, offensive coordinator especially for the sec um but I, I really think that um, if, if I have two teams who are going to have to gel to succeed this season, I'm going to lean the more talented team kind of being better early on. Florida State last year took a Notre Dame team to the very brink, um, a very strong um, performance. And so you see there is some fight in this Florida State team. I think they'll be markedly better than last year. I would lean LSU, but I think this is one you're biting your nails. Um, I do think it'll be a close game. Most certainly. Kyle. Uh, Brian Kelly, of course, bringing over, as Parker mentioned, Mike Denbrock from Cincinnati. It, that's They've worked together in the past. It didn't work out before, really. Uh, there's a reason why Denbrock left and, uh, and was over at Cincinnati. But this is, this is the kind of spot where you would expect to see maybe a slow pace, et cetera. That total of 51.5 looks enticing to the under to me. But I'm curious your thoughts just on the matchup overall. Yeah, guys, I'm going to call myself out on this one. About uh, three, four weeks ago, I was sitting there with my son, who loves to look at uh, college football stuff with me. And here's my eight-year-old asking me, what do you think the line is for each of these games? You know, I'm just kind of guessing off the cuff. This is the one I was the farthest off of any of them. I was a terrible guess. I, I guessed double digits for LSU. So, uh, you know, not a great guess by me. I will say I was close on a lot of the others, and he was he was all impressed until I got to this game, and he's like, "What are you doing, Dad? You know, like you're way <laughs> off." Um, and uh, you know, the fact that LSU has so much more talent than than Florida State to me, uh, I'm surprised this line could be this low. I, I 
I need to know a little bit more about these two teams. Uh, it is only June, and we we fully transparent say that I don't know everything I need to know about these teams, so I'm going to look more closely at them. Uh, I think LSU, talent-wise, their top-notch talent is just that much higher than Florida State. That I, There's no way I could take Florida State. It's LSU or nothing. And while Jordan Travis has done well at Florida State, he was 5-2 and two in the games he started Florida State last year. Um, and they have lots of good transfers at wide receiver. Pittman, uh, they had way too many big negative plays last year. And I, I don't know that they can ever cut down on that. You know, if you're playing a second and 20 constantly, uh, you're going to have some real trouble, especially against a team like LSU. And I think that's that could happen in this game. Um, I think Adam Fuller is doing a good job with the defense um, for Florida State. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's so many question marks for LSU at offense. I mean, who do we think is going to be the quarterback for LSU? I mean, do we think it's going to be Jaden Daniels or Brennan? Uh, do we do we have any real idea yet? I'd, I'd go with Brennan uh, from everything that I've heard from down there. But, again, we haven't even gotten to fall camp yet. I, I cannot believe that Jaden Daniels would transfer away from a place where he was the starting quarterback to go and be the backup elsewhere. Uh, I feel like somebody had to have told him, yeah, you're kind of the leader in the clubhouse here, right? Like, it just doesn't make any kind of logical sense to me that he would leave that position to go to LSU and then not be the starter, right? But, I mean, that might be crazy. I have seen crazy. There, there are normative questions about the um, level of postseason success that Arizona State would be allowed to have in the near future. So <laughs> there are certainly off-field issues. Also, I think Jaden Daniels could be a great SEC wide receiver. Um I think if I, I do not see Jaden Daniels type of quarterback being what Brian Kelly's offense wants to be. Um, and so that is very interesting to me. I think he's a great athlete. I think he could find his way onto the field if he doesn't win the job and they don't run some kind of weird chaotic offense. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle, uh, let me, all right. So you're, you're leaning LSU or nothing, right? I'm, I'm leaning LSU. Um, I thought for a second, I thought Parker was going to say Jaden Daniels could be a great quarterback in the sec <laughs> then we would have probably had a disagreement but but uh, i have some takes but i have a line kyle <laughs> <laughs> right, right. you gotta stop somewhere right so no i would lean lsu here in this one lsu secondary could be a bit of a problem they're really not very good at secondary but is florida state a team that's really going to be able to take advantage of that uh, i wouldn't think so so i would lean lsu I, t- I tend to agree with you i tend to agree we've got one more that we're going to hit and then we'll jump into a couple of q a i do see one in here about wyoming and illinois uh, but let's go on and, and finish this thing off with our Monday night Labor Day matchup. Monday, September 5th, it's 8 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, that would be Clemson against Georgia Tech. And whew, uh, let me let me tell you, uh, the line is 19 right now in favor of Clemson. Total of 50. It opened Clemson minus 22 and a total of 53 and a half. So the total has come down three and a half points. The line has come down three points. But I don't know that it's moving in the right direction. I think a lot of people were very quick to assume that Clemson's offense was just going to be trash again this year. So I believe that Stephen Godfrey said it best when he was talking about Georgia Tech's schedule. It looks like it was made by somebody that wants Jeff Collins fired. Uh, This is a terrible opener for them, and the schedule does not really get easier at any point. Last year's game was 14-8, to but even that was a little bit tricky because Georgia Tech had to kick a field goal with just over a minute left, and then they had to force a safety with seven seconds left just to get it to a, a one-score game from where it was 14-3 to three with just about a minute left. Clemson outscored Georgia Tech 174-42 to 
between 2018 and 2020. Last year, bit of an anomaly. I've got a lot of questions about Clemson. Kyle, we'll start off with you on this. I want to know what DJU looks like at quarterback and whether or not we see Cade Klublik, um, Klubnik, excuse me, and what does it Clemson look like with a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator? Uh, Kyle, I would love for you to answer either of those questions for me. <laughs> well, can I start with the easier uh, side here? Georgia Tech's bad. I mean, what are they going to do here? Uh, I think it's much easier to answer what Georgia Tech's going to be than what Clemson's going to be. Uh, Collins, how's he going to make it out of this season? It's hard to believe. You know, you look at that schedule. <laughs> I don't see any way. Um, I know Gibson came in at quarterback for Georgia Tech. Uh, I'm not convinced a guy who briefly looked good at Akron is a good fix. I mean, I don't, I don't think this is actually really a good idea. And uh, Sims has had way too many big mistakes. Um, the offensive line is a major problem. Um, Tech defensively probably improved a little bit in the secondary, but this is a really bad defense as well. Very long season coming for Georgia Tech. I can't say anything really good about them. Uh, they haven't recruited well either, so it's not like they're picking up these nice recruits they are going to step in. Uh, as far as Clemson, uh, their defense is going to be excellent again. I, I think you could argue their defense will be just as good, if not better, than last year. Uh, I know they lost some, some key linebackers, but they have a tremendous defensive line. I think the best defensive line in the country. Uh, fourth in defensive efficiency last year. I think they'll probably be in the top five again and, and probably the top two or three. Uh, great unit on defense. Now on offense, I mean, what's DJ going to look like? Everybody assumed he was going to be very good last year, and that wasn't the case. Um, to be fair, I, I think the wide receivers are not very good for Clemson. And, and some of those guys were a little bit uh, kind of highly touted. Uh, at this point, I, I don't think they're very good, and I, I don't think they'll be very good this year um, at wide receiver. Uh, their offensive line uh, struggles in pass blocking as well, so it's not all on DJ or the quarterback. Uh, there are other problems around them. This is a run-based offense that I think will be a little bit better than last year, but I still don't think it's going to be a great offense by any means. And uh, while they have some decent talent at running back, it's not really game-breakers or people that would uh, change the game completely. So. As far as what I would bet in this game, gosh, this one uh, feels terrible to me. I, I, I would probably lay the points with Clemson if I had to, but, I mean, you want to lay this many points with a team that you don't think their offense is good. So um, yeah, probably lean under Clemson if I had to bet it. I, I tend to agree with you on that. Uh, Parker, let's, let's talk about Georgia Tech really quick. This was somewhat – we talked about Jared Dagey last year being Schrodinger's quarterback. Was this Schrodinger's team last year – because you could never tell what they were going to be from week to week. You knew it was going to be volatile, and they would come up with some crazy plays, crazy scores, etc. But you didn't know exactly what you were going to get. I'm curious if we get that from them again this year. Do they just throw anything against the wall and hope that it sticks? I, I'm, I'm really curious how you view this Georgia Tech team. Yeah, what are they doing with the quarterback room? <laughs> I'm fascinated because they got Taysen, the, the Clemson backup came in. They have Sims. They have Zach Gibson from Akron. They're all like very similar, like 6'3", 215, 220 kind of guys. I I don't know if they're just like, look, man, we just it's 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 win six games or get fired for for Collins down there. I think the transition away from the triple is really hard, but I mean, it's, it's, it's been a while now and it doesn't look like they really have anything that, that it makes me think they're going to be different this year. Um, uh, they lose Jameer Gibbs, a really good running back to, to Alabama. I mean, they, they, there's just not a lot to get excited about here. I have them ranking, um, 
85th in uh, 82nd, excuse me, in, in offensive uh, efficiency. And that's weighted for kind of run pass splits. So um, really I, against Clemson on week one is not a time you're going to find yourself. Like that's just not going to happen. Um, the flip side of that is I, again, their defense is not very good and maybe Clemson's passing offense is, is lower. Um, or excuse me, is, is not as good as some of the other ones they'll see. But uh, again, the, the kicker for me for Clemson is Will Shipley, right? Limited action early on, dealt with some injuries, came back 100 yards in three of the last five games. They absolutely relied on him to beat Wake Forest um, and, and just a, a talented rushing game like that, that he's going to drive the offense. I think they'll be a little bit smarter about what they ask DJ to do. If you watch that Georgia game last year, there's a couple of times where it's like, man, CJ Stroud can make that throw and Clemson would have beaten you know, Clemson would have beaten Georgia by two touchdowns. Like if they could have made, and of course, Georgia's defense is designed to make the quarterback uncomfortable and put him in tough spots. Um, but it, DJ really missed some some looks early on and that kind of spiraled. The one thing that I will say that makes me a little bit worried about this total being so big, if you look at DJ's passing attempts last year, um, you know, pretty low overall, but especially down the stretch. Versus Pittsburgh, he had... Um, 32 versus Florida State, 31 versus Louisville, 31, Connecticut, 57, and then Wake Forest, 20, South Carolina, 19, Iowa State, he had 33. Generally, they gave him the opportunity to work things out against UConn. They, like, they set this offense up to say, DJ, please, God, figure out how to, like, let's figure out how we can get the ball downfield. And they couldn't do it, and they kind of bailed. So... Are they going to do that? Like maybe their running game is going to be way more efficient. Are they going to throw the ball 60 times just trying to get DJ to start connecting with receivers, getting in rhythm against the team they know they can beat? That's something they've done in the past. That would be my one consideration in betting Clemson here is their efficiency might not be as good because they might be trying to workshop some of this pass game to get it to click early on. Um, so style-wise, style, style wise, that's the one thing that worries me here. Otherwise, I don't have any qualms about betting uh, betting Clemson. I'm surprised that the line has dropped three points, and I, I suppose – it has to do with how bad the Clemson offense was last year and the fact that this game was technically a six-point margin at the end of last season. But, I mean, if I had to lean a certain way right now, I would certainly take Clemson knowing that they've at least got another option at quarterback behind DJ. That's that's the biggest thing. You've got another guy now. If it doesn't work early on, yeah, you bring in somebody that maybe gives you a little bit of a spark, and now that there's good competition, what I'm – most concerned about is maybe that Clemson defense, which I do think is going to be really good, but without Brent Venables, it could be a little tricky. Could be tricky. We have Q&A. Let me go ahead and remind everybody before we jump into some of these questions, subscribe to the channel for us, please, and make sure that you like this video. Share it out with your friends, etc. We are going to be here every Tuesday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube, etc., uh, consume the product in all the different ways that you can. And, of course, jump into the comments. Let's see. We're going to start off with Mark Holmes. He said, who do you guys think – no, what do you guys think about USC this year? Uh, I would say bet the overs. Uh, Kyle, let's uh, let's go with you. You got a quick thought on USC? Yeah, I bet the overs, and I think USC might be overrated by some people. I mean, you see some of these off-season polls with uh, USC. Um, I think it was ESPN. USC was in the top five in one of theirs. And it's like, I mean, I, I like Lincoln Riley as much as anybody else as far as how good of a coach he is, but I think we should probably slow down a little bit from that. Uh, I don't know about betting USC on the side because I don't think there'll be a lot of value because people are so high on him. But totals... Yeah, I, I would lean to overs with USC. As far as how far they can get this year, I'm, I'm going to leave that one to Parker. Parker, are they unprojectable right now? 
No, not not at all. I mean, I think there is um, there there are some clear issues that Lincoln Riley could fill, and like stylistically, what USC was bad at, Lincoln Riley is pretty good at. I think that they have a full off season to work. I also think that Lincoln Riley is embracing being a villain and will um, will absolutely have a chip on his shoulder and, and there'll be some issues there. Their defense, you know, the talent might not be there along the offensive line. The talent is not there, but in the Pac-12, that's that's OK. Like you can you can manage your way about that. The big deal for me kind of watching film on, on Caleb Williams, who um, who's going to be their quarterback this year. Is is just last year he felt like he had to make plays because he was in competition with Spencer Rattler. The Baylor game particularly, there were five and ten yard completions open, and Caleb Williams was running around looking for that twenty yard completion, and that really hindered their offense. I think with an offseason of film and work, and maybe a little bit more reassurance that he's the guy, Caleb Williams' development should take that next step, be one of the better quarterbacks in the country. So you have a top five quarterback, you have you know power five talent, and you have a really good offensive mind. I, I think that that's a recipe for doing well in a conference that's that's a little bit down, um, you know, top to bottom. The big deal for me is they do have to play at Utah. And I think if they had missed Utah in the regular season, maybe we could see them kind of sneak in Pac-12 championship game. But um, I, I, I don't know that they'll, or in terms of getting the playoff, beating Utah uh, twice, I think is, is pretty rough there. And so um, I, I, don't, I don't know if they'll be able to do that. They do get that Notre Dame game very at the end. So a really tough schedule going to at, at Arizona. Uh, I think they'll be markedly better in quality. Uh, like Kyle said, as for results, for now, I, I, I really think they'll score a lot. I think there's some obvious teams um, that they will, will will dominate. And I think when they win, they'll win big. But um, it, still still working on kind of how their talent, especially along the offensive line, matches up for them to be kind of a robust offense. That'll move us over to Big Trouble Jack, who asked for thoughts on Wyoming and Illinois. Uh, Illinois is favored by 10 in that week one game. A total of 46 here, and I don't know that that's enough points. I understand that Illinois' offense uh, slows it down quite a bit. They they play very, maybe efficient isn't the right word. They, they are slow-paced. But I don't know how slow-paced they will be this year because they bring in new offensive coordinator Barry Lenny Jr. from UTSA, and they've got a new quarterback. I believe Illinois is rolling out Tommy DeVito, who was at, uh, at Rutgers before, and Wyoming loses everybody. I mean, they just, they, they, I think they're 122, 123 in returning production. Uh, I love Craig Bowl, but they lost a lot. And I think Illinois might be on a bit of an upswing here. Uh, Parker, give me your thoughts on Illinois on this one. I, you know, I don't know that Wyoming can go in there the same way that UTSA did last year. Yeah, blind, blind resume. I hate betting. Uh, Brett Bielema to cover 10 points versus Craig Bull. Like if I just had that information, that sickens me <laughs> to my core. They lose Isaiah Nayer, their leading target, one of the most involved wide receivers last year. They lose Levi Williams, who has ability to extend plays with his legs is just, you know, almost unparalleled in the Mountain West. Um, they had some really key defensive pieces. It really just felt like, I mean, this year could have been very exciting for Wyoming if they could have kept the content, but the transfer portal just, they lost out there pretty substantially. And so I'm pretty down on them. I think that on defense, uh, Illinois should be feisty this year. Again, Ryan Walters, a great defensive coordinator, building up that talent. Um, and on offense, again, uh, what Brett Bielema's calling card is, let's play a low variance, kind of uh, high floor offense. They've had some issues at quarterback and haven't really been able to minimize those big plays. If Illinois gets in a situation like they did against Nebraska last year, where um, you know they can stifle and frustrate an opposing offense that's not that good, then they can kind of 
make sure that they're not just shooting themselves absolutely in the foot on, on offense, I think they can win a game pretty handily. And so given the talent disparity, given that I think their offense should, should be a little, you know, that floor should be a little higher this year. I'm, I'm okay with the Illinois bet here. Again, as, as much as that saddens my heart to, to bet it, I do think that um, I'm okay with the Illinois side of this one. And uh, of course, Kyle, give me your thoughts, Illinois. You agree with this? Well, uh, I echo Parker's sentiments about if you just told me it's Craig Bull versus Brett Bielema and you're laying 10 points with Brett Bielema, I immediately start feeling bad. Like, this is not good. What am I doing? (laughs) But if you look at the talent, I can't take Wyoming in this game. Wyoming has all sorts of question marks. And Ryan Walters did a really good job with the Illinois defense. I mean, this defense is a lot better than people gave it credit for last year. I think I would lean Illinois in the under in this game. Uh, We'll move on from there. We've got three more questions. Steven said, what are your thoughts on Western Kentucky this coming football season? Uh, I will tell you, losing Zach Kitley is a big blow, along with all of the different talent that came with him. But the guy that's going to be the new offensive coordinator, 26-year-old, I believe it's Ben Arbuckle. He was the offensive quality control coach and assistant quarterback coach there, but he wants to run the same thing that Kitley did. But he's only 26. And on top of that, Western Kentucky brings in Schrodinger's quarterback, Jared Dagey, as their starting quarterback this year. At least we assume he'll be the starter. But on offense, I don't know how they're going to be able to replicate what they did last year. And that defense took a huge step back last year, and they don't return a ton on the defense. So while I love Tyson Helton, this could be a bit of a tricky season. I trust Helton to be able to do some some fun things. Uh, Tyson Summers, the former Georgia Southern coach, is going to be the new D.C. there. And they are... This is a tricky team to figure out. Kyle, do you have any thoughts on the Hilltoppers? Uh, I wouldn't want to bet the Hilltoppers at the beginning of the season. There's too many changes, too many negatives for me. Um, I would rather fade them than bet on them. And it's kind of a wait-and-see team as far as totals because they're not going to be able to score the points they did last year. What are the odds makers going to put on their totals? Um, I, I would tend to think that Western Kentucky would be a good team to bet against, if anything, here. Parker, what about you? Any thoughts on on Western Kentucky? Yeah, my my initial thought would be there's probably some value in unders early on just because they will be over. The the totals will be high early on. Um, I can see a world where Jared Dakey, you know, in an offense that says, hey, man, just throw the ball here. Like, just just line up and throw the ball here. Don't do much else could could actually be pretty good. And again, at that lower G5 level. Dude, just slinging the ball is like an offensive advantage. So many teams don't do that, but just that high volume, aggressive passing, you can score a lot. So I think the offense will take a drop off, but won't, you know, it won't bottom out. Um, The the question uh, in terms of like totals and sides is just, man, that defense, uh, it's not great. And and so how do they, how do they interact with um, one, maybe less offensive efficiency, less of a cushion on offense? How does that defense uh, getting tested a little bit more uh, shore up? So I I agree with Kyle, high uncertainty here. and, and that's one of those things where, you know, if you're an informed, smart, better, you can look at your, you know, just because something happened last year doesn't mean it's happening again this year. But also just because they lose some pieces doesn't mean they're going to bottom out. There's kind of a, a middle there, but definitely a definitely a wait and see team, especially like I need some video of Jared Dagey throwing the ball in fall camp. I, I just need to I just need to see what's going on there. Um, so for sure, a wait and see team. The uh, the first line for WKU, they are a 13 point favorite at Hawaii. That lets you know what Timmy Chang has to deal with uh, for the Warriors down there. But it is a total of 62. So there might be a little bit of value uh, maybe going under on that one. But we'll we'll see. That could be two pretty bad football teams. But we'll, we'll figure all that out. 
We got two more here. Robert S. said, how do y'all think my Auburn Tigers are going to do this season? I'm a fan of Brian Harson, but I think he's starting the season on the hot seat. I think Brian Harson will be a great coach at Arizona State in the 2023 football season. I will tell you that. Uh, I do think Auburn's going to be okay, but when your quarterback room is uh, TJ Finley and Zach Calzada, and they brought in somebody else, uh, I believe that was a guy that actually was at Oregon, if I'm not mistaken. Either way, I don't like the quarterback room a lot. And in the SEC, there are some games that you can win by running the football with Tank Bixby, right? But I don't know that you can win as many as it will require for him to keep his job uh, without a good quarterback room. Parker, let's start off on you. Thoughts on Auburn? Here's my favorite fun fact from 2021. Highest percentage of passes dropped among quarterbacks with at least 150 attempts in all of FBS. One, Zach Calzada. Two, Bo Nix. Three, Max Johnson. Um, very funny that we got an SEC West <laughs> shuffle there, and all three of those guys are just like, no one will catch their passes. Um, I think losing Derek Mason is um, going to be a bigger hit on defense than they want to admit, um, and, and so I think that's going to be an issue there as well. Of course, um, Bo Nix Bo Nix is an athlete. He can make some plays. Uh, you look at the LSU game last year, I think there was that play where you know Bo Nix went sideline to sideline like three times and scored a touchdown. Uh, for all the strengths and consistency Zach Calzada brings you, extending plays and is not really what I see of him. So maybe that's what they want. Maybe they want a more conservative, less volatile offense. Um, but, man, they really shot themselves in the foot uh, last year multiple times. And and with that defensive regression, I, I just don't know how well that's going to play. Also, like, they want him gone. Like, the environment is just not great there. And so that that is something, especially in the SEC, where drama is is always uh, at the forefront. I, I really think that's going to that's gonna cast a pall on them. Not to mention what they, they host Penn State in the, in the non-con. Um, pretty, pretty, rough, pretty rough deal for them this fall. Um, I don't know that they're going to be significantly different from last year. And then they have to go to Athens, and they have to go to Tuscaloosa to close out the season. Uh, yeah. Uh, Kyle, you got a thought on the Tigers? Yeah, I mean, I've been running this query and looking at it while, while you guys were talking. Uh, Brian Harson in the second half. We talked about this at the end of last season. Brian Harson in the second half has been a major problem. You don't want to bet on Auburn in the second half of these games. In fact, 38 and 65 against the spread um, in the last 103, uh, betting on Brian Harson's team in the second half. And if you uh, narrow this down a little bit to when they're favored. So when the team is favored by four points or more in the game, 21 and 47 against the spread, this tells you that if Harson's team is generally in the lead, uh, in the second half, they're very conservative. Uh, they have not done well. We saw a couple of those games last year where Auburn had the big lead and completely blew it. So um, that's what I'm going to watch with Auburn this year is, uh, you know, are there some spots where I can fade them in the second half? I don't think Auburn will be great this year. I don't think they're going to be a bad team, but I mean, obviously the SEC is really talented. So uh, when when you have a spot where it seems like everybody wants you gone, it's hard to really be excited to bet on that team. All right, we'll move into the last question here. And James S. asked, with all the transfers across the country, what is the most improved team in your opinion? And to me, it has to be USC. I don't know that it's necessarily close, uh, but they were a dumpster fire last year. They went four and eight, and I would expect nothing less than an eight and four season out there for Lincoln Riley and the bunch uh, because they just completely rehauled the roster. I mean, they bring in the Bolitnikoff winner. They bring in the number one quarterback recruit. Uh, they've got talent all across the board except for maybe on defense, but there are still so many Pac-12 teams that you should be able to just outscore that I think that uh, USC would be my answer. Uh, 
Kyle, do you have a different answer than that one? I mean, it's hard to say somebody other than USC. The other team we talked about earlier, Nebraska, could be an answer, certainly. I mean, especially if you go by their 3-9 and nine record, they have to be much better than that. I imagine some people would say Texas. I, I, we, we, we can get into Texas more in depth in the future. Uh, but... I mean, I think USC is probably the right choice. I was trying to think of some random, uh, you know, way off the radar team, uh, but I, th- I think probably uh, USC is the easy choice here. Parker, what about you? I actually think that uh, obviously USC really raised their ceiling. Uh, they still have some some kind of glaring imbalances, especially on the offensive line there. I think Ole Miss has a really strong argument here. They bring in Jackson Dart. Uh, four-star quarterback. They bring in Zach Evans, a five-star recruit at running back. They bring in two tight ends in in Michael Trigg and JJ Pegwis, who could really contribute and give them a lot of options. Um, and then on the defense, you know, they're bringing in two new two new uh, edge rushers in Jared Ivy and Kari Coleman, who both started for Power Five teams last year. Uh, at safety, they're bringing in uh, Iowa State uh, Ish Young, who's a really talented guy and, and developed well as long as uh, as well as Tennyson from Auburn. They're really playing well to kind of say we know exactly what we lost, we know how to shore it up, and the sheer volume of this. I mean, they they, they brought in you know what fifteen guys, and a lot of those are going to start. Not to mention second guys like Ulysses Bentley, who was the top running back on a very good SMU offense last year. They've really taken advantage of of a of the portal for their needs. So if you talk about total team improvement, um, yes, uh, USC really raised their ceiling. Ole Miss in, in, you know, 10 years ago, this Ole Miss team in 2022 absolutely drops off the face of the planet with what they lost. And because of the transfer portal, they're going to be very close to what they were last year. So I think that um, that's just a spectacular job and, and definitely, um, definitely a team that has a claim to, to improving their, their um, team most. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with you. I think, Ole Miss did a good job. The only reason I didn't give them as one of the possible answers is uh, as far as improvement goes, well, I mean, they won 10 games last year, so I guess it would depend on what the improvement would be from. They certainly improved the roster over what it would have been, but it's tough to go more than 10 wins in the regular season for uh, for that Ole Miss program. But it's going to be a lot of fun to see Lane Kiffin with all these brand-new toys uh, at the skill positions for sure. Gentlemen, I think that that is going to wrap it up. We went uh, we went about an hour and a half. Now, this is not going to be common. We're going to try and keep these about an hour, but, my God, we have enjoyed this so much. It's nice to get back to doing it. Uh, go ahead and follow all of us on Twitter. You can find it down in the show notes. Make sure that you are subscribed to the channel and that you like this video and share it out with your friends and whatnot. Let everybody know that this is where you come to get your college football information. With that said... I believe it is time for us to head out. So, of course, from now until uh, August, I guess about a couple of months, we will see you all again next time.